People are in a state of trauma coming to see us. They've likely been searching for results. Mm -hmm. They're getting lots of more noise and information out in the world. Everybody's giving them a protocol, a way to self-diagnose, self-prescribe dietary recommendations, supplements. There's also a movement of body positivity appropriately and of anti-diet culture. And so there's a pushback to what we're saying people should do in the realm of restriction and inclusion, and people are getting more and more confused. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence, persuasion, and getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help you achieve even greater things. In today's episode with Andrea Nakayama, one of the leading functional medicine nutritionists in the world, we'll unpack how health practitioners can better coach their prospective clients or patients to a decision to seek professional help. As the host of the 15-Minute Matrix podcast and the founder of the Functional Nutrition Alliance, Andrea has been leading thousands of students and practitioners around the globe in a revolution to offer better solutions to the growing chronic illness epidemic. After losing her young husband to a brain tumor in 2002, she discovered a passion for using food as personalized medicine and is now regularly consulted as the nutrition expert for the toughest clinical cases in the practices of many world-renowned doctors. And Andrea and I go back a long time over the years. We very much think alike. And so, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks, Uli. I'm always excited to spend time with you. We don't get enough of it anymore. I know, I know. But this podcast has been a long time in the works, so I'm really glad we get to unpack how health practitioners can actually be more effective in getting patients to initiate care. And you've trained nearly 4,000 practitioners each year on your methodologies. So I know a thing or two on how to coach people towards a decision to seek care. Tell me, after you lost your husband, you really moved into research mode to finding out how to better help people. What did that period of research look like? And when did you decide to go into nutrition full time? Yeah, that's a great question and a lot to unpack. And I think of that time that my husband was actually alive. He had a glioblastoma multiforme and he was diagnosed when I was seven weeks pregnant. He ended up outliving his six-month prognosis and lived for about two and a half years, a little under two and a half years. And I think of that time as my nutrition boot camp because I was mm -hmm. actually looking to learn what we could do in addition to all the medical treatments he was receiving, of course, chemotherapy and radiation therapy and two craniotomies and lots going on. So I was saying like, wait a minute, what about all the other stuff? And where does food, something I had a passion for, fit into this equation. We did a lot to change our diet to support my body while I was growing a baby and his body while he was not just fighting cancer, but enduring a lot of treatments. And it was during that time that I actually came face to face 
with many of the gaps in our healthcare model. So there were amazing things that medicine could and did do for him even over 20 years ago. And there were a lot of things that nobody was talking about that happened in between all of those treatments and all of those medical visits. So that spurred my passion. We did a lot during that time. And it wasn't until after he passed away that I realized this was my passion, my calling, that there was a really beautiful place to sit with people in their trauma, in addressing chronic healthcare challenges from cancer to autoimmunity to Lyme disease to mold and metal toxicities, and that I wanted to move into that space with care to understand how we fill more of those gaps in healthcare and put myself back through school and many, many years of training and starting a practice and doing things a little bit differently than anything that I saw done out there. Yeah. And you and I just briefly before we talked about the important distinction that people can learn from anybody. It's not just a doctor and a health coach, but that you have allied health professionals. And what did your experience with your husband's illness and your own autoimmune condition that you discovered along the way shape your approach to coaching clients and practitioners? What are the frameworks that you realized taking some peats for maybe integrative medicine, functional medicine, and then weaving it together into a beautiful framework that you teach? Yeah, so I think of it as the art and the science of the functional nutrition practice. And like you said, I don't think of myself as a health coach, and I honor the work that health coaches do in behavioral change, and I think that's really important. And I also think our medical doctors need a helping hand. I think they need somebody who sees between the lines so it's not only or merely about the behavior, which is a big deal. I don't want to diminish the role of a health coach and behavioral change, but there's also insights that might come from a physiological understanding. So for me, it's that art of how we do we take the science and apply it to what we all know, which is that dietary and lifestyle modifications matter. And so in that art of the science, I've come up with several models that I like to mm -hmm. think through and train people to think through. The first is the functional nutrition matrix, which I modeled off of the Institute for Functional Medicine's matrix, but made it so that it's something we can share and communicate through with a client who is ready to see their map, essentially. The mm -hmm. other two frameworks I use are what I call the three tiers of nutrition mastery. I actually think of it as the three tiers of epigenetic mastery and what I call three roots, many branches. And that gives us a way not to just think, oh, I start with the gut and then I go to the immune, like not just thinking physiologically, but how do we consider who this person is in their totality? I can speak into either of those models as a framework for how we think about care. And the thing I want to say before we go there, if you want me to go there, is that these frameworks allow me to teach and educate. And that's what actually becomes a conversion point for our clients and patients because they're being brought into our thinking in a simple and understandable way that's not about our attachment to only the physiological systems or only the evidence-based medicine. We're making it make sense for them. 
Yeah, that's actually a good point. And in your experience, what are some of the common challenges that trips up health practitioners when they try to enroll patients? You've alluded to some of them already, but when we're specifically talking personalized medicine and what could they learn really from these frameworks that would make them more effective in enrolling patients? Because let's face it, if the practitioner is not a master at communicating this the right way and educating folks the right way, then the patient will not understand why it's to their own benefit to initiate care. And then obviously the patient never gets better. What do you found that practitioners typically stumble with around just because maybe missing training and the like? Yeah, I'm going to zoom out for a moment into our cultural context so that we can actually talk about this. People are in a state of trauma coming to see us. They've likely been searching for results. Mm -hmm. They're getting lots of more noise and information out in the world. Everybody's giving them a protocol, a way to self-diagnose, self-prescribe dietary recommendations, supplements. There's also a movement of body positivity appropriately and of anti-diet culture. And so there's a pushback to what we're saying people should do in the realm of restriction and inclusion, and people are getting more and more confused. And I've spent the last few years really diving into understanding how my teaching and training can be culturally competent, trauma-informed. That doesn't mean it's my job to hold somebody's trauma in its healing, but it's my job to recognize that they're mm -hmm. probably coming in a state of fight or flight. And what I think practitioners often do, because we're so excited about what we think can fix people, is move into the fix too quickly for that individual, not recognizing what might be triggered for them emotionally or physiologically, because we know the protocol that should work. We put them on the cardiometabolic diet and prescribe five supplements, and it could be too much for that person, and they don't understand the why behind it. They don't understand what's in it for them, and if they're not seeing results, and they're further triggered by trying to adhere to something, that's when they ghost you. That's when they don't come back. And so I think we have to slow our role as practitioners and recognize this is about the person We're not fixing them. It's not our job to fix them. Patients are coming in feeling broken, Uli. I have clients who come to me for the book I'm working on, for my case study group, who are fearful of looking at their labs because they're constantly yeah. being told that something is wrong with them and they're chasing these fixes I actually slow the progression of what labs we're doing, starting only with serum labs, And I make sure when reviewing them that I first talk about everything that's working for them. Our bodies are more functional than they are not. And we mm -hmm. overstep that in favor of what we want to talk about to get to what we think is the root. And I always say, there is no one root. So I think what we're getting wrong is our pacing. We're like going to marriage when there may be some <laughs> indoctrination that needs to happen. I'm chuckling here because obviously I feel from a marketing perspective, this is what we always see. The practitioner said, I need a full waiting room. I need people. I'm like, 
People make decisions on their own timeline and you can't just rush them into it. Yes, a few people are very educated and they're ready to transact with you and ready to initiate care. But there's a lot of people where they don't even know what they don't know. And you just have to go slow and you have to start dating and walk them through that part. So you mentioned that last framework about the three roots or let's go there because I feel this is a aspect that not a lot of people talk enough about. And I'd like you to share your viewpoint on this to educate our listeners. Yeah. So I think of the three roots and the three roots model that I've designed, three roots, many branches. It's akin to Fasano's, Alessio Fasano's model of the three-legged stool, right? So it really recognizes that any sign, symptom, or diagnosis that our clients or patients are experiencing is a branch. And I draw that model for them. So I say, imagine you're in a field and you see this beautiful tree in the distance and you're walking towards this tree and you're in awe of its magnificence. And as you get closer, you recognize that some of the branches aren't looking so healthy. Some of the leaves are starting to turn. And you're really touched and moved by it because you want this tree to thrive. And so you have to think through, should I get a ladder and start picking off branch leaves? Should I get a ladder and a saw and start sawing off branches? No, I have to think differently. I have to think down the trunk, down to the roots. And then what I like to remind people is our job as functional nutrition counselors is to focus on the soil, not even the roots. So what I also find in the world of trauma out there is a lot of patients are looking for the root and they think the root is going to be exposed to them in a test, a functional test of some sort. So I'm reminding them that any sign, symptom or diagnosis, and I have them list them, is a branch. And we need to think differently about how we address that branch. And likely other people, including themselves, have tried to address that branch head on. And it's not working for them. We have to change more. We have to actually change where the roots live, which is in the soil, in the terrain. And so in my three roots, many branches model, I identify that the three roots, and we can think of this like a Venn diagram, mm -hmm. are the genes, digestion, and inflammation. And around each of those roots is what I refer to as a circle of influence. And that circle of influence is the soil. And circle of influence is a term I'm borrowing from Stephen Covey, who talks about the systems of the smartest people or the most successful people. And it means that instead of targeting and creating the anxiety that we have by just targeting something, We actually think about what can influence it, and that gives us some power and empowerment. So around genes, we have the food, movement, environment, and mindset. And we can think of those as epigenetic factors that are influencing our genetic predisposition. Around digestion, which I will always say, if you're talking about nutrition without talking about digestion, you're missing the point because we have to yep. think about the symbiosis. We can think of the circle of influence as the mechanical, the chemical, the structural, and the microbial. Oftentimes we're bypassing, going mm -hmm. right to the microbial without thinking about how other factors impact the microbial. And around the inflammation, we think about clear, calm, 
enhance and modulate. We may need to clear an infection, yes, but we may need to clear a negative mindset. We may need to clear toxins from your house. We may need to clear a relationship. And so thinking of the soil allows us to think more broadly about Mm -hmm. what we're not seeing instead of thinking about a protocol for a condition or a diagnosis. Yeah, I love that framework because it can work for any health endeavor. You don't have to be an endocrinologist or a gut specialist. These are universally applicable and obviously they're very well informed by science. In these practical frameworks that you develop, I'm curious about what are some of the key strategies that practitioners can then use? How would they practically implement or apply this framework? I guess for their own perspective, just being aware that you know, you need to look at these three factors. But I guess from a persuasion perspective, it's are you actually educating and teaching on those things? Or is the patient totally unaware? Hey, we're just following this protocol and there's no rhyme or reason why this protocol versus another one. Yeah, I'm always trying to bring a patient or a client into our way of thinking so they understand why we're making the recommendations that we're making. So it isn't top down. We are creating one of the primary tenets of a functional practice, which is a therapeutic partnership, right? So what Mm -hmm. I like to recognize when I'm in the room with somebody is that there are two experts And there's an expertise that the other person has that I don't have. And there's an expertise that I have that they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have. So I'm trying to make sure there's room for both and that I'm sharing not just what to do, but why I'm doing it. And the first thing I want to do is make sure they understand the thinking, the systems thinking that's going to feel different for them because they're used to just receiving something to do, walking away, trying to do it, succeeding or failing and coming back or not. So I'm bringing them in so I can continually remind them of where we're going and why we're focusing there and how it's a more sustainable movement forward. Ideally, in our situation, the people I'm training, we are allied practitioners. So somebody else is working with the medical condition and that's under somebody's eyes and guidance, right? So that we can Mm -hmm. say like, okay, that's happening. And that actually informs our work as well, but Mm -hmm. that's not where we're focused. And I'm constantly telling the practitioners and the students I train, that's a branch, not our job. That's tier three to go to my other model, not our work in tier one and tier two. And so it's really broadening again, the way we think about health and the healing journey, but I'm bringing people into that thinking because it's not common. It's a gap. And to fill a gap, we have to actually talk about what we're doing and why so that people are bought in. Have you found that there's a certain cadence to actually achieve this paradigm shift. They're thinking, here's the allopathic conventional model. And now they get to work with a functional health professional. And now obviously we're totally changing the world. What's the cadence? What's the timeline that you find is required at the minimum? Because as you said before, we're probably rushing this too far and we're not dedicating enough time. So how much time is enough time? What's the minimum that you found? 
Yeah, I wish there was one time. I would say there's a minimum of six months that we need to be able to work with people, but that might reveal for an individual what needs to happen from there. I will say what I've learned in the last few years is, again, what kind of trauma people have gone through in their bodies and in their care may also inform the pacing versus somebody Mm -hmm. who is coming in and like ready to do everything who may also be is likely in a traumatic state and desperate we see those people coming in eating three foods right that's a process of untangling how they got there physiologically but also psychologically out of fear Mm -hmm. so when i say that uli in the last couple of years, I worked with a group of transgender practitioners. I worked with a group of military practitioners, all of whom have chronic health conditions themselves or are trying to work with mm-hmm. them. And what I learned through that process is we might not be able to talk about food, and I'm a nutritionist, for six months because of the history of food restriction because of the history of body image and body dysmorphia. And that was like huge learning experience for me. I actually take all those points where I hit up against the barriers as an opportunity to learn, not an opportunity to think it was a failure for me. That becomes, what am I not communicating? How is there a different way in here And I invite people to sit in that discomfort. That's where we learn. That's where we grow. And that's how we serve. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point that ultimately everyone is on their own unique journey that's informed by the past trauma that they have experienced. And you can't rush this. You just have to be empathetic and listen, which is, I think, another big tenets that you're a fan of. We don't listen enough to all the clues that are coming our ways when we're in this partnership. And so many people miss important clues. They could tell you or would at least invite discussion. Hey, let's probe here. I know we could go into any number of areas (laughs) here, but you are a prolific educator and you give our listeners a sneak peek into your podcast, The 15 Minute Matrix, and all the other amazing ways that they can learn from you. Yeah, thank you for asking, Uli. At andreanakiyama.com, I am turning my attention back to the patient a bit, not as a practitioner, but in this educational Mm -hmm. way, really priming the pump, hopefully, for people to work differently. In thinking about that therapeutic partnership, I realized I've spent a decade training over 8,000 practitioners to be in a therapeutic partnership. And Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I was like, okay, the patients are getting more off the rails. Like there's more noise, they're more confused, and they're sicker. They're not getting better because a lot of the people I talk to have been to a lot of the top practitioners, and then they reject everything because it didn't work, or they don't understand what or why they were doing what Mm -hmm. they were doing. So turning my attention back at andreanakiyama.com to that slowed down conversation, 
talking about things like resistance and where resistance shows up as stress in the body when we're in that constant mm -hmm. battle with ourselves and also with our care is really fascinating to me. And I'm a student of narrative medicine, that listening you're talking about is something I want to help patients do for themselves. How do I listen better and pay heed to what my body is telling me in any one moment. So andreanakayama.com is the newest body of work that will lead you back to the Functional Nutrition Alliance, where I train practitioners in these methodologies in our 10 month training full body systems, and also to the 15 minute matrix, which I am no longer producing, unfortunately, but there are 376 episodes with some Amazing of our episodes. <laughs> they're 15 20 minutes there's a matrix with every single episode so if you're looking to learn about magnesium or mitochondria or methylation or estrogen regulation you can find those episodes look at the matrix while you are listening and it reminds you of my mantra which is everything is connected we are all unique and all things matter. And that's the mantra that is pervasive through all my work, including the podcast. Yeah, I've been listening to episodes here and there in my Google search. It's like, oh, there's an episode from Andrea. Let me listen into this. Or my wife, Jennifer, she's like, oh, you got to listen to this episode. It's so good. Aww. And so I feel there's a lot of training that bridges the gap yes geared towards practitioner and really understanding what this is but it's also for the health seeker the functional medicine curious person that really wants yes. to dive more into the thinking and how do i think about these different things whether it's mental health or hormone balance or what have you so i think it's such a great resource and so valuable to the community thank you We'll put the links in the show notes. People can find this. We always end the show with the one key takeaway you want listeners to remember and can be something we already discussed or what's your final parting words here? Yeah, I was thinking about this after listening to your podcast, Julie, and just thinking about what is the one takeaway. And I do feel like we have to come back to that realm of the trauma-informed care and that awareness that people are coming to us in a state of trauma. If they are sick and not getting better, if they are looking for answers, we have to recognize all the triggers throughout their life, including in that moment of seeking and searching. So I'm just gonna bring it back to the mantra I just mentioned. Everything is connected. Yes, that's the physiological mm -hmm. systems biology. We are all unique. Recognize that with your patients, not just in theory, but in practice. And all things matter. Sleep and relaxation matter. Exercise and movement matter. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that speak to some of the top practitioners that I know that suffer with things like chronic fatigue and nobody's talked to them about sleep or hydration. And from a mechanistic perspective, understanding systems biology, I don't understand. So I'm just gonna remind people, yes, everything is connected, but who we are and what we do also informs what's happening in the body. Yeah, very well said. I think 
the gap, if we go back to gaps, is that people are so strapped for time that they forget to do the basic things like hydration, like sleep, that can make huge difference. And if you do a second opinion and you look at somebody, it's like, how is this even possible that this got overlooked? You mean nobody has talked to you about this? So I think there's a huge opportunity for practitioners and anybody else listening to invest in indoctrinating, into educating, not just educate people before they become your patient, but then once they're a new patient, what's happening in the first eight to 12 weeks that here's the basic operating manual of the body that you just have to be reminded of and bringing it back to what you said, the body has an amazing capacity to heal. How can we activate more of this? So thank you so much for sharing all these gold nuggets and uh, for everyone else listening. We'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life and certainly in business because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.